Welcome to another episode of Coming Out Stories from What Goes On Media with me, Emma Goswell. In this episode, you'll hear AD's story. He's a drinks expert with his own show on Amazon Prime called The Three Drinkers. Basically, he gets paid to drink. Not bad, eh? Uh, anyway, he's out and proud now, but he told me that uh, he was outed at school and then bullied for being gay. So, I was in Yorkshire, that's where I grew up, in Bradford in Yorkshire. Yorkshire people are very wonderful, friendly people, but we do also hold quite old school views. And even though they're very loving and embracing, that we're not the most accepting of people every now and again based on those old school views. So coming out and growing up in Yorkshire was, yeah, it has its ups and downs, really. And, you know, throughout that journey, I've been told by people, you know, quote unquote, oh, no, I totally embrace that. I'm totally cool with that. The only thing is, I don't think that two same sex people should have children. And that for me kind of somewhat defines the the old school view of Yorkshire when it comes to things like LGBTQIA. I mean, but Yorkshire's a big place, isn't it? But you're in a city or I mean, it's it's huge, isn't it? I mean, if you're in a rural community, I think it's probably even harder. But whereabouts were you then? Somewhere in between the two, kind of outskirts of Bradford by a by a reservoir where I could escape to and, you know, when I needed some me time mm. <laughs> but it was it was a nice quaint little area i have to say i was i was lucky growing up there um peaceful had had friends growing up which was nice until they all moved away <laughs> and i had no one because i lived quite far away from my school as well uh. and my um, my mom at the age of five my mom suffered from a brain abscess which led to her losing half the sight in each of her eyes oh, and that meant that she couldn't drive anymore and all the things that she was used to doing, she wasn't able to do anymore. I think that that really had an impact on all of us in terms of just staying at home a bit more than than mm. we would. So I'm guessing that's quite isolating. And I'm guessing you may not have had many LGBT role models in your area or people that you're aware of being gay. I would say that that's absolutely true. I mean, if I look to my school year, I was one of the only people who I can really think of who who was gay and you know whether I'd kind of openly come out as gay or was hiding it at the time honestly I turned a lot of my discussions or getting to know a community to the internet when I was younger just because I wasn't able to go out and see other people so I remember you know going on chat rooms and one in particular called Habbo Hotel that Ooh. I would go on. Never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it was like a 3D chat room where you had a character and you'd go out and you'd talk to people. And I remember, you know, meeting people through there and I could just be myself and I could kind of explain my feelings in a way that made sense to me. And I even had an online boyfriend on and off for about four years. How does that work? <laughs> yeah, I do think that now. You basically just text each other and tell one another that you love each other and that you're <laughs> madly and deeply in love from a distance. Oh my God, and they could have been like a 65 um, check Slovakian monk or something. I mean, I don't know why that <laughs> popped into my head, but they could have been anybody, I suppose, could they? Do you know what? I did have an experience, which was not exactly that, but somewhat similar, in that there was someone who I've been talking to who I started online dating for about four months, and it turned out that the he was a she. It was a woman who was pretending to be a man online in a like an alter personality, and then they, they finally kind of came out and said that's what it was, the situation at hand. I was like, okay. What? <laughs> yeah. That is totally bizarre i've never heard of that and so they were a catfish and they but they admitted it in the end they did but a, a catfish when catfishing wasn't even a thing it didn't huh. the word catfish hadn't even really come out at this point i'm talking when i was about 14 15 so this is what like nearly 20 years ago now 
And she knew you were gay and you were looking for a boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she sounds quite a confused individual, I have to say. Well, hopefully she's sorted it out. But yeah. yeah, I think there's there's a lot of weirdness going on online. But I think yeah. also it, it stems from the fact that people can just live in that alter reality. They can be someone completely mm. different. And there's no one to kind of stop them or hold them back when you're in something like a, a 3D chat room because you can just do you. And it's yeah. like those, um, the, the, what is it? There were a couple of platforms set up specifically for that, like role-playing games and everything where you go on and you just pretend to be another character. But yeah, oh, the whimsical world of online. I think LGBT people, and I'm going to make a massive judgmental thing here, particularly gay men, they do like a bit of fantasy or a bit of um, sci-fi and a bit of that role play sort of thing. And I think, you know, it has been a real lifeline for a lot of people, actually, hasn't it? I'd say so, definitely, yeah. And I mean, I think they're more likely to get into the whole BDSM, you know, and, and kinky play, shall we say. Oh, well, if you want to talk um, about BDSM, you know. <laughs> be my guest. We haven't had many people broaching that subject, especially just a few minutes into the interview, but go ahead. <laughs> Do you know what? I just think in general, as as a community, we just, we embrace everyone and we, we support mm. and love everyone. You know, they can do whatever they want to do. I always find it quite humorous. Tentacle porn is a word that frequently comes up within my circle and I have no idea why. Or, or even what it is. It's kind of like an inside joke for everyone. Tentacle porn. What is that? Am I going to have to Google that? I don't care about my Google search history. I need to find out more. It sounds fascinating. I can't wait. What an education the rest of my day is going to be. Um, anyway, I feel like we fast forwarded a bit. So let's rewind a little bit to that internal discussion you had um, as a youngster, presumably. When did you first think that um, you might be gay and how, how did you process that information? I mean, that's always an in- interesting question, isn't it? And I often sit down and think, all right, so when, when we're growing up, do we like girls first and then it changes over to boys or like what, how, how does it work kind of thing? But if mm. I think about my own experience, kind of from the age of seven, I just knew that. And this is at a point where the, the feeling of pu- like puberty and the feeling of anything sexual is just not there at all because we're still developing our, our feelings. And I just remember at the age of seven thinking about guys differently. There was kind of like an embodied love that was just slightly different, like a comfort that hmm. was different to how I'd feel about women. And I remember there being an, a kid in my year in my school and I was just like, I really want him to be my brother. And it was kind of, you know, you, you're confused by what these feelings are. You can't really identify what they are, but there was just this like feeling of love. And it's at that point now when I look back, I think that was my body telling me that I am attracted to men. I love men. And that was how my body was telling me. I just really wanted this guy to become my brother because I was so close to him. So from a very early age, but at that age, it isn't sexual, is it? It's something else. Exactly. It, mm. It's like comfort and endearment and belonging and and all those different feelings. So yeah, I'd say that that's, that's when I first kind of knew. And I remember watching Smallville and seeing Tom Welling, and then I really knew. <laughs> is that the Superman prequel? Was that- oh, yes, it is. Oh, okay, oh yes, yes, it sorry. is. And I, I remember falling in love with Tom Welling. Oh, my goodness me. And was that the moment it clicked in your head and went, oh, yeah, I, I don't want Tom Welling just to be my brother. I'm thinking I might want to lay hands on him. Let's just say there were frequent dreams of him coming through my window on a warm summer's <laughs> evening. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, so what sort of age was this then? That was probably more at the age of around kind of 14, 13, 14, I'd say. Yeah, good old, good old Smallville. I remember listening to the tracks continuously on repeat. And when it would come to an end, I'd just hit again on the CD. 
play. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I listened to continuously. Oh my god! So I mean, it wasn't even particularly an LGBT program, but it was just something that made you come to some sort of awareness in yourself, really. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, and also the fact that he was a superhero, and everyone loves a bit mm. of superheroes and wanting oh, yeah. to look after them, and you know, take them up into the sky and their wing he doesn't really have wings but he can fly okay yeah, he, there you go he can put put me under his cape any day <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. Oh. so that was all going on sort of in private but then when was the first time he thought oh this is real I, I am gay i'm gonna have to go out and find other gays and you know do something about this for me it was quite a slow journey i had a couple of different stages in life um i remember that when when I was in school, it was really difficult to come out because I was the only person really in school who I knew who wasn't significantly older who was gay. And, you know, there may have been other people in my position, but they themselves were keeping it to themselves. And I remember being about 14, I'd say, and seeing a guy in school, like in, in real life, for the first time, this guy just walked into a room. He was a year above me. And my jaw just kind of dropped. And I thought, oh, my God, you're the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. Oh. And you know, like when you have little schoolgirl and schoolboy crushes yeah. and, you, you know, you, you find the yearbook or whatever and you take out, you rip out the picture of that person because you've got a little crush on them and you take it home. So I may have done that to this person who was on the rugby team, I... tore out a little, little picture. And one of my one of my friends saw that and was like, what's that? And she was a bit of a goss. And in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have told her because as soon as I told her, she then went and like told everyone that I had a crush on this person. And uh, then then bullying pursued. And I do remember in school just getting the whole, you know, Adrian's gay, Adrian's gay. It's used as such a negative word and an everyday insult when you're in school, which is really damaging. And and actually, you hadn't even had a boyfriend then. You weren't doing anything. You've literally just expressed the fact that you had a crush on someone. It must have felt incredibly unfair to you at the time. Yeah. It, looking back, it, yeah, really unfair. The fact that you've just unearthed something, which is such a massive deal, that this person goes ahead and uses it for their own, you know, not credibility, but as a topic that they can raise their popularity with because they've got this nugget of information that they will go and spread to people. So that was, yeah, that was that was quite sad. Did you t have it out with this girl? Yes and no. I mean, I kind of just retreated a bit and hid. Mm. Uh, because, yeah, when, when you have various people now just calling you gay as an insult, it, it can do things to you in terms of, you know, mental health and just making you feel really sheepish and not wanting to be yourself. Well, exactly. I mean, did you have anyone that you could confide in? Did you ever consider reporting it to teachers? Honestly, yeah. like... Again, there's, there's quite an old school mentality when it comes to certain teachers as well. So you never really know what to do there. And when you're a kid, the last thing you think about doing is going and telling on someone, especially around 14 and 15, because mm. it comes back to bite you. And in terms of confining in people, I mean, again, most of my confining in people ended up being online on, on the chat room that I mentioned. So you didn't um, have mates at school that you could have gone, you know, this is really upsetting me and be my friend despite the fact I'm gay. A very small number, a very mm. small number. And the fear for me was that if I came out and said something like that, all of my male mates who were straight would not want to associate with me. And I did find that 
a good amount of the guys in the year when I had eventually come out as gay or it's quite obvious that I was gay distanced themselves from me because they didn't want to have that portrayal of hanging out with a gay guy because I mean initially it would have been it would have been just rumors so you could have denied it I suppose but um, you decided to just go with it did you and just go look the rumors are true do you know what I denied it Mm. I did deny it because it's such a you stick out like a sore thumb as soon as you say yes and it, it was such an unconfident period so I did deny it for a good while. I think it was when I was in sixth form, so I was about 17, 18 is when. It was a very interesting and odd year in that I started to just be extremely camp. And again, looking back now, I can see that I was actually putting that on quite a bit to just identify with something, to make it overly obvious, almost like it was a shield, hmm. almost like it was something that was protecting me. And so I would I would be overly camp to make it obvious that I was gay without anyone having to kind of ask it or say it that's really interesting because you don't seem overly camp now so is that, it, it was something that you were just putting on then I think it was it was mm. something based on a lack of confidence and as I say something to just protect myself mm. and so by being overly something it enabled me to feel a bit safer about the whole thing and what sort of reactions did you get to, to your campness uh, to be honest with you Everyone was totally fine with it. One or two people picked up on it and were like, oh, you know, you never used to be like this. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, which I found very insulting at the time. Mm. But then again, looking back now, it kind of makes a lot more sense. But I remember going on a, a school trip when I was, again, like 17, and someone who I'd been quite close to told me that I, I was a fake gay. What? <laughs> I was like, what? oh, God, what? What's one of them? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. But, I mean, kids can be ruthless. You know yeah. what? The, the nice thing is, though, some of the people at school who did give quite a lot of stick, I've spoken to since, and they've turned out to be really lovely and daring people. And, and I, you know, that, I just think that's such a wonderful thing. Kids will be kids, and... The kids who dish out more bullying typically have something going on themselves in their own lives that is, you know, deep and dark and that's how they convey it. Yeah, I mean, it's okay to understand that years down the road, but it's it's damaging at the time, isn't it? And then, and that girl essentially outed you, so kind of took the opportunity for you to come up slowly in your own pace away from you, which I think in itself can be really damaging, can't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's there's more more of that used to happen than does now. I'm seeing now from people who have kids that whether, you know, you're gay, straight, whatever it might be, it's just accepted. And it's just, it is what it is, which is such an amazing thing. You know, I was talking to my co-presenter and she said how her kids came home from school one day and they said, oh, John is now with Daniel. And she said, oh, I didn't know that John was gay. And she said, oh, he's not gay. Let's not, we don't have to call it something. It just is what it is. And she was like, whoa. You know, how far we've come, it's just an accepted everyday thing within, you know, certain areas in the UK, which we're very lucky to to have. I know that it's not like that across the world and we still see some horrible stories and some horrible things happening in the news. Well, let's put it into perspective then. So what sort of decade are we talking when you were at school? So I was at school until 2009. All right. So quite recent, really. Oh, you young thing, aren't you? No, I wouldn't call that recent. No, no, I just turned 30. (laughs) I feel old now. Parts of my body are doing things they never used to do before. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk parents then. So you obviously came out, you were camp at school and people knew that you were gay at school. Was there a parent moment that you thought, right, time to tell the folks? 
I had two parent moments. <laughs> so my parents divorced when I was 10, which also led to me doing a lot more of things online mm. um, because it was just the most convenient thing and speaking to people online. But my coming out moments, um, I told my mom at I think like 15 and, and she said, okay, I heard you, I've heard you. It might be a stage because, you know, your dad isn't here anymore, but I've, I've heard you. Then I told her again at 16 and she was like, okay, might still be a stage because your dad isn't here. But, and I was like, okay. Then I told her at 18, she was like, okay, you're definitely gay. <laughs> but I think she was, she was worried that this is a very interesting conversation to be had. And I'd be keen to look at the science behind it, that if a male figure leaves at some point in your development, Hmm. Does that make you more inclined to seek love from other male figures? And, you know, she'd obviously read something or looked up something where that was an identifier and thought that that could be the case. But obviously she was extremely supportive of it and, and has been ever since. And she's great. I would say you are either born gay or straight and it's just the cards you dealt with, to be honest. I don't, I don't, there's plenty of people that are gay in uh, lovely supportive families like my own. And that's just the, that's just the way it happens, really. But Yeah, I, I completely agree with you in that. I, I do wonder, even if someone is completely heterosexual, if a male figure leaves at some point in their life, do they develop just more feelings towards men? Not not in a sexual way or anything mm. at all like that, just purely from a comfort perspective. Mm. And I'd be really keen to see what the if there is some research that's been done on that. Oh. Uh, but I wholeheartedly agree with you in that we are born gay, we are born lesbian, we are born straight, whatever it might be, 100%. Mm. And um, was your mum cool with it then? She sounds like she was, pretty much, even though it was like third time lucky to convince her of the truth. <laughs> Yeah, she was absolutely fine with it. And to be honest, it was more about her worrying and making sure that I was safe than anything else. And yeah. she's absolutely fine with it. I love her to bits. She loves me to bits. And it couldn't be a better situation. Yeah. Uh, and um, do you still speak to dad? Did you come out to him? Yes, I still speak to dad. And I, I remember telling dad. So it's always more difficult. Well, not always more difficult, but many gay guys find it more difficult telling their father figure yeah. because they think that there will be somewhat of a disapproval. And I remember being told when I was a kid that I was the lifeline to the bloodline of the family because I would carry its name. And so my children would be the ones to continue this family on. And not to say that, you know, LGBTQIA people can't have children, not to say that at all, but you, you don't think about those things when you, you're young. And so I always remember thinking, oh, God, I'm going to disappoint my whole family by, you know, coming out as gay because it might mean that this doesn't happen. Mm. And there are certain old school views. But I actually ended up living in San Francisco for a year during a placement year when I was at university. So I was 21 at the time. And this is when I told my dad and he'd come out to visit. So we were on a bit of a road trip in San Francisco in a bar on, on one of the main streets called Geary Street. And I started like shaking and crying and stuttering and stammering because I, I was about to tell him, I was telling him that I was gay. And so we're sitting there at the bar and after about five minutes of me just trying to get this out, he, yeah, he just simply said, you're my son and I'll, I'll always love you. Now I'm going to go outside and have a cigar. <laughs> to, to which then his, his <laughs> wife leant over, who'd give us a little moment because she could see the gravity of the situation and said, I'm so sorry I missed all of that. What did you say? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so you had to repeat it. It was like, oh, take two. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, it was, it was hilarious. Then Dad went outside and was... Um, 
harassed by a woman who was just like, like, oh my God, that's such a cool story. And like, wouldn't leave him alone whilst he was having his cigar for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and what a great place to come out as gay, though, in uh, one of the uh, birthplaces of the LGBT rights movement. So uh, a big gay scene from like the 1960s onwards. So did you like hot foot it to a gay bar straight away or did that take a while? <laughs> God, I remember during my twink days when I was a, a youthful twink, I would go to a bar called Badlands and, and be the centre of attention given I had a British accent and this baby face and hair. Those days have long gone. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I did, I did used to spend quite a lot of time in the Castro and I have to say, one of my dearest, dearest friends, God rest his soul, he raised in his lifetime, his name was JP, and in his lifetime, he raised millions of dollars for different LGBTQIA initiatives and charities. And for that reason, and because he was my best mate, I'd just hang out with him all the time. So we we go to all these different, you know, drag and function, drag functions and comedy acts, and we go watch all the dancing, and we'd put and like help put together floats for the pride parade. I have to say, wow. And and this is one thing that I do miss which i've just started getting back into as of recent um but i miss that whole amazing drag community who are out there like it's such a loving and embracing community of people and it's just it's so fulfilling when you're a part of a circle like that and you're you're, you know friends with these people because there is so much love there there's a lot of attitude and sass don't get me wrong but that's built together and bound with this amazing loving community and just over the past couple of weeks i discovered a drag and wine tasting in london in soho a place called the golden guy and i've been three times i went last night which is why i'm feeling a little bit fragile (laughs) oh well yes uh started the interview by saying just to warn you i'm a bit hungover it's like well it is going to be uh, part of the problem of your career isn't it really AD is a professional wine taster. Uh, but no, you've been doing drag wine tasting. This is awesome. Honestly, it is such a cool experience. You've got Vanity Glow, who's there, darling, in all of her dress and her, you know, vibrant appearance and such a great comedian. And then you've got Beth, who's doing all the wine. And it's so refreshing for me to actually sit back and not be, you know, performing for once and let someone else take the reins and do such a bloody good job at it. You are in gay heaven, aren't you there, basically? Oh, my God, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> so this is the thing. A lot of people talk about finding their tribe and finding their own family. And, you know, it sounds like that's what you've done in San Francisco and in London, really. You know, you've, you've found good people to be around. Getting there. I think that we all need to find our solid tribe. I'd say that I'm now embracing the gay community in, in London more than I ever have. And mm. I'm now on a mission to go out there and meet more friends within that community because it has been missing for my life for a bit. I've let work kind of consume me a bit too much. Mm. Well, you've been very successful. Let's let's talk about your work briefly um, because um, you work in the drinks industry. Basically, you're a professional boozer. I think a lot of people listening will be slightly jealous of your career. <laughs> but... <laughs> Do you feel like you are one of the only sort of out gay people in sort of professional wine tasting and presenting? I'd say there's very, very few people. Hmm. There's very few people who are wine and spirits or drinks personalities in general. Um, but I am, I'm a lucky boy because I do get to essentially travel the world finding the best wine, spirits, beer, non-alcoholic stuff. And it is very rewarding. It's still a lot of hard work. I wish it was just glitz and glam. And that was flying around doing that. But there's a lot of admin to it as well. Well, no, I'm sure. But it looks like you've had a very fun career. 
We've definitely had a fun career. So launched our TV series on Amazon Prime in 2019. That's called The Three Drinkers. And in the first series, we went all around Scotland and dove into whiskey. And we're currently working on the next couple of series, which the horrible, wonderful, horrible COVID-19 has, you know, put on hold multiple times. But we're getting there. We're getting there. Oh, I look and, forward to um, watching that then. I watched um, some of the first episode where you are literally just going around distilleries in Scotland and drinking whiskey. I mean, that's hardly a day's work, is it? <laughs> hey, we, we do get it lucky, I have to say. Yeah. I have to say. Yeah. And the other thing that you're coping with is um, you're so, sort of out and proud as a gay man, but you're also out and proud as someone that suffered from Tourette's. But, I mean, I have to say, I haven't noticed any evidence of Tourette's, but I guess it's something that's affected you differently throughout your life, has it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you touch upon that because one of the first things that people will usually say when I tell them that I've got Tourette's is, but you don't swear. Mm. And first of all, I think, yes, I do swear because I'm from Yorkshire. But secondly, when I <laughs> yeah. swear, it's it's nothing to do with the Tourette's. And, you know, there's that stigma because of the comedy acts out there and because of what we see misrepresented in the media on an ongoing basis. Mm. Everyone assumes that Tourette's syndrome equals swearing and inappropriate behavior, which is called coprolalia. And Coprolalia is present in only 6 to 10% of people who have Tourette's syndrome, meaning um, 90 to 94% of people do not have that symptom whatsoever. That's and, interesting. And, so how does it manifest itself with you then? So tics will usually, there'll be a cycle of about eight months. But for me, it's it's right now it's been like a pseudo cough because of COVID. Mm. So <laughs> obviously I'd start having a pseudo cough so everyone thinks I've got COVID. Um, a, a twitch in my shoulder and my neck. Um, because my neck's been quite sore. When we develop pain in an area, we'll typically develop a tick in that area, which makes it incredibly hard for it to heal quickly mm. because we're constantly straining the muscles. They're my major ticks at the moment, but they, they tend to change every eight months. And I don't really have many verbal ticks, mine are more motor. And that seems to be the case with people as they get older. Not everyone, but quite a lot of people, when they find themselves in the, you know more comfortable in who they are as a person, their ticks will gradually begin to fade. We will never, ever be cured of this. It's not something that will disappear. Is there no cure then, no? Uh, as currently stands, there is no cure, and people are trying to guess exactly what it is and why it happens. But the closest that we've, we've come to a cure was a watch that was developed which had an electrical impulse that would go through your body, and it would essentially completely halt the chemicals that are creating the ticks. And there was a documentary not too long ago and there was a little lad in it who had really bad coprolalia and his tics were severe and they put the watch on him and they just completely stopped. All of his tics stopped. The mm. only problem is he was essentially being electrocuted. Very, it's a very small level, but you can't just go around electrocuting yourself your whole life. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't sound great, to be honest. No. no. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, I think my main thing is to just raise awareness and let people know that you know, having Tourette's syndrome isn't just swearing yeah. and that one out of every 100 kids in a school has Tourette's syndrome or a form of tick disorder. And there's over 300,000 of them in the UK. Yeah. So we're out there and, you know, people probably don't notice. I think one of my biggest challenges is on the tube during rush hour. And if you're hot, sweaty and comfortable and have, have had a stressful day, then I might have a couple of motor tics. And people would actively look at me and be really worried and fearful. They thought I might be, you know, re recovering drug, drug addict or something. Mm. And they, they fear, they, you know, 
So they, some people would even get off the train, wait for the next one. Gosh. And so it's quite damaging. Well, thank you for educating us because I feel like I was very ignorant on that as well, actually. So I feel like I've had a real education and I've got to have a bit more understanding of it now. So thank you for that. Before we go, you know the final question. You know, if you were to um, have any advice for other people coming out as LGBTQ+, what words of wisdom would you like to impart? I would say let's not forget the past and let's not forget all the amazing people within our communities who have fought for us to get to where we are now. I think that the show that came out, people who watched it, It's a Sin, has opened the door to a lot of that rediscovery. Mm. And I think all too often, we as a community sometimes take for granted all of those people and how hard they've worked for the freedoms that we have. So we should continue to pay it forward and help other people who are in a vulnerable place, who need our support, like other people helped us. I think that that's such a crucial, crucial thing before we become too comfortable in our own skin, we need to recognize that there is always more out there to be done. And we are the next generation who need to do it and keep fighting the fight. Perfect. Well, I'll leave it there unless there's anything you wanted to add, AD. I just think this is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for allowing people to tell their stories, spread the love and just get a bit more awareness out there because it's people like you who, you know, as I said before, keep fighting that fight and you are doing just that. So thank you very much. Oh, don't make me blush. <laughs> it's just lovely getting to chat to people, to be honest. You know, this has got me through COVID nasty times as well. Just jumping on a Zoom and um, seeing what other people are up to in their lives and hearing their stories and just being nosy. I love it. Nosiness all the way. <laughs> Cheers, AD. He really does know his stuff, you know. He's given me plenty of tips on what to drink, and if you want your own, you can catch his podcast, and that's called Bring a Bottle. Or you can follow him on social media, at Sipped, you'll find him. Uh, By the way, that is spelt S-Y-P-P-E-D. And next time round, you'll be meeting the American singer-songwriter Melissa Ferrick. They told me they realised they were gender non-conforming or non-binary at quite a young age, but it did take them till they were a teenager to realise they might be a lesbian. Because then I took her on a drive and she put her hand on my leg and I was like, oh, you know, like the feeling of the first time somebody puts their hand on, on your body or holds your hand and it's just so intense, you know, nothing else has happened yet and it's just electrifying. She said, you know, don't you? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? She goes, you know that you're a lesbian. And I was like, I'm not a lesbian. I have a boyfriend, you know, here's his picture. <laughs> and then she kissed me and I felt everything in my body dropped and I just felt like relief. I just was like, oh, that makes sense.